friends. Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast, your podcast for business support, where we try to help you run your business and support your customers better, smarter, and faster. And ladies and gentlemen, I have today a new friend of the show, someone that I met up in Chicago at the recent TechCon Unplugged conference, and she had a very powerful presentation that we actually had to ask her to do a second one, and she obliged and did that for us, and I appreciate that. And I have with me Ursabet, also known as Liz Pifko. Liz, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me on the show. And let me just ask, how did you enjoy the conference and Chicago? I loved it. I loved all of it. I attended some of the sessions just to keep up with, you know, the industry that I serve. And um, Chicago is amazing. Everybody was very cool, made some new connections. So all of it was just all right. Go back. Now, as I mentioned, we asked you to come and do a second session, uh, partly, and I'll just say partly my fault, because as the MC, I'm supposed to keep everything on time, but we ran out of time on your session for questions and answers. And I know that you had planned to, you know, visit the city and do some other stuff on Sunday, and we asked you to stay and you did. So did you get a chance to go do that other stuff that you wanted to do? Oh, absolutely. I did go downtown. I did not spend as much time as I wanted. So I'll be planning my next trip soon because I love it. I love Chicago. Oh, big uh, art enthusiast. So, you know, the architecture, the museums, everything is just so captivating to me. So I'll be I'll be planning another trip where it's strictly vacation. All right. Well, let's get to why we have you on the show and tell everybody what you do do. You are an attorney and you specialize in business, corporate, and intellectual property law. And then you also help out with MSP contracts and things of that nature. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that and your business. Correct. So I own a business and IP practice. I do everything from business formations to contracts, which contracts take up approximately 90% of my practice, as well as intellectual property. So copyright and trademark registrations. Um, I don't do patents because that requires you to take another bar exam and I'm just not up for that. Um, I refer that out, but I, I help a lot of MSPs with, uh, with trademark stuff, make sure, you know, you can protect your brand. So I imagine that a lot of us probably come up with very simple, easy to remember names and there are a ton of us out there. So how often do you run across companies where you have to tell them you might need to change your name? <laughs> a lot. Even at these conferences, I, uh, I notice uh, companies with very, very similar sounding names. So, you know, uh, when one of them becomes a client, I do need to advise them that there are other businesses using very similar uh, branding, which might um, run into a problem from a trademark perspective. But it's also a good incentive for these companies to actually get on the process of trademarking their names so they can secure nationwide rights and exclude others um, from, you know, ex- expanding with. Well, I guess I should probably ask, does a company have to trademark their name? So for instance, if a company's working just in a very small local area and they're not going to be going nationwide, is it that much of an issue if they 
have a similar name for someone, somebody that's on the other side of the country? Um, as a general matter, you do want to check if the name is trademarked by someone else before you start using it, because whoever has it trademarked first with the USPTO has nationwide rights. So you can't start using a name that is already registered. Okay. So from that perspective, it's important to to at least uh, do some trademark work. But if you're just a, a small MSB, you're only operating in your hometown, you have no intent of expanding, you don't necessarily have to trademark it nationwide because you do have common law rights just by virtue of using that name in commerce, which is that that's what a what a trademark protects your your commercial use of a certain business name, slogan, tagline, other branding elements. So if you're not expanding and you know that, that you never will, you know, then it's, it's in my opinion, it's not critical that you trademark it. All right. And that's different than checking the state registry for your name, correct? Because I know that here in Florida, we right. have to check the state registry of corporations and all that. And then they also have a separate database for fictitious names. Right. You can't use the same name as as, uh, as another business. But if the name is not taken and you and you don't ever plan on expanding, then it's uh, it's not always necessary to to go the USBTO route. All right. So your business now, it's your firm and we should probably say the name. Your name is Corvinus Law, correct? Yes. And based out of somewhere in Louisiana. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking I should remember where because it's it's I'm going to say it's not is it Baton Rouge or is it um No, we started in New Orleans and New Orleans. moved to Manville. Okay. Which is right across the lake from New Orleans if you're familiar. I'm not. Okay. I, I was born in Shreveport, but I don't know anything about Louisiana. <laughs> That's sad. Um, That's a, we got tired of the downtown life. Oh, so. okay. You know, uh, you get older, you want to be closer to nature, you move out to the suburbs. Yeah, stop so, dyeing your hair blue and purple, right? Right, right. Oh, you noticed. <laughs> well, you got a little, you got the blonde highlights working. Yeah, it was, it was still slightly pink at the conference, but, you know, I, I try to um, put on the more conservative face as our first meeting. All right. Well, I'm, I've got the gray highlights working here, so. Very yeah. nice. So in terms of your business, so you are doing the business in corporate law. And I mean, we talked about the fact of trademarking names and doing all of that. You help businesses get themselves properly licensed, um, helping them get the proper business structure. And then we moved into helping MSPs with contracts. I don't see that as a natural progression. So how did that happen? I, you know, I wasn't actively it wasn't an active choice that i made i this started at one of the first firms i was working at prior to establishing my own practice i got um the assignment of putting something together for an msp and it it was so complex and so different that it turned out into this I must have researched for a hundred hours before even putting this contract together. It was just this massive exercise. And I must have looked at at least 50 different contracts, none of which were any good. 
um, <laughs> consulted with a few experts that were still practicing at the time. And uh, I ended up putting together a very good um, contract package for this business. And um, it just went from there sort of as a word of mouth thing because nobody in my industry was competent at serving MSPs. Nobody was it's hard for me to say where it's like specialized because the bar doesn't really want us using that word, but nobody was uh, serving MSB specifically um, to the degree where, um, to the degree that I feel necessary because of the complexity. So I, uh, yeah, it just grew from there. And um, I started getting invited to, you know, conferences, online events, um, I was, uh, when I was active on social media, I was, I used to be very active on social media. I was involved, uh, heavily with Chris Weiser's group. And, um, from there, from seven figure MSP, I made even more connections in the industry and it just grew organically. It's not something I had intended on devoting the majority of my practice to. (laughs) All right. And I did see, uh, uh, reference to you in the Chris Weiser group, you guys had put together some sort of ultimate MSP contract guide or something like that. It's Yeah, it's a template pack that is specifically for MSPs because, you know, your regular contract forms that you find on the internet are not adequate to protect you against, you know, all the liabilities that you face as an MSP. Um, so there are a lot of like independent contractor agreements and, um, statements of work and, and just random documents being passed around online, but, um, they are extremely inadequate. They're not MSB friendly and, um, they're lacking dozens of critical clauses and schedules and provisions that you need as an MSB to even have the most basic elementary protections that you should never do business without. So because there was this giant gap between what people are working with and what's available, we put together this package and um, it's been doing really well because MSPs, you know, because the industry is so complex and the risks are so high and everything is so specialized, in, including the contracts, um, you know, you're, you're looking at about a 10K legal bill minimum to get adequately protected. And most MSBs starting out, you can't justify that kind of investment from day one. So we put together a more cost effective solution to get you a package that will protect you um, sort of you know, until you can afford to actually work with an attorney and get a highly customized one-on-one legal document stack for your business. All right. So I was looking at that and I should probably say to the audience, if you have not listened to this show before, I currently do use uh, a a technology attorney. He's local in my area. So everybody's going to be freaking out going, Oh, Mark's switching over. No, I just want to make sure that we get all of the resources in our community out there and introduce everybody. And, you know, 
not everybody can use the same person. There's enough business to go around. And so uh, if you've tried uh, using somebody and you need somebody else, Liz uh, may be an option for you. But Liz has some different perspectives, and I want to ask her about those now. So you mentioned that the uh, the contracts weren't necessarily up to snuff. That's the, the phrase that I'll use. What are some of the common things that you've seen? Because, uh, you know, we hear all the time about things that are changing our industry. We have to add things all the time. The insurance company is just making our life, you know, and in some ways it's making it great because we're getting business and other ways it's making it a living hell. Uh, but what, what are some of the things that you've been seeing out there? So the contracts I have an issue with are, first of all, not the ones that are made by technology attorneys that serve this industry, but that's the, a small minority compared to these terrible documents that are floating around that are just woefully incomplete. Um, and I see a lot of a lot of issues because, like I said, they were not made specifically for MSPs. They were just kind of uh, let me download this thing or borrow it from from someone else and then tweak it myself for my business with no help. So I see things like, you know, services and pricing not being specific. Um, I've literally seen service descriptions that say, you know, well, We'll handle your IT network. We'll manage your IT network for three thousand dollars a month, and you know, that that doesn't tell me anything about what you're actually going to do. Right. And um, you know, then the, then the client wants you to do something that you did not intend to be part of that service, and that's when they come to me saying, "I don't want to do this for this client. This is going to cost me five thousand dollars." <laughs> like. What are my rights? I just want to say no. And I'm like, well, let me see what your contract says. Well, your contract says absolutely nothing other than you'll. Yeah, you, you'll handle IT and that means works. everything, right? <laughs> yeah. So I can't really help you here, you know. Um, there are other provisions relating to client responsibilities. So this goes to not only managing expectations, but holding your client contractual or responsible for doing their part um, in protecting their network and doing what they need to do to enable you to do your job correctly. So things like following your processes, including like how to lodge service requests, things like that, um, communicating with you promptly through the designated contract, contract, the designated contacts that you agreed to, to make sure that, you know, all communications get to the correct person within the correct time frame. Um, things like granting you access that you need in order to troubleshoot issues either remotely or, you know, granting your personal access to your premises to do what they need to do. Um, things like that missing from the contract. Um, other than that, liability limitations, which, you know, it's, it's just an essential component of every business contract, to be honest, because you do need to limit your liability. And especially as an MSP, you know, you, you don't want to take on potentially unlimited liability for any and all risks and damages that can occur throughout this relationship. And, um, 
I, I see liability limitation clauses missing from these contracts. And as an MSP, you cannot afford not to have clauses that um, that would limit that for you. And uh, I mean, I could go on and on. I, I was going to let you go, but I do have a question about, so liability comes up a lot in the discussions and yes. some, some people like to put in clauses where we are not responsible for your data and then that's it. But I don't think the legal world in terms of insurance and stuff like that, if something happens and the data is in your care and control, you're responsible, right? Well, that depends a lot on what your contract says and what actually happened. (laughs) So there is a little, you know, gray area, wiggle room, um, plenty of opportunity to waste money in litigation. I'm not going to deny that, but um, as an MSP, you can still implement certain contractual protections that make it easier and cheaper to litigate this issue should it ever go to court. And, um, you know, saying things like we're not responsible for your data it's not exactly the language we would use in the contract because, <laughs> again, if it goes to a judge, what does that mean? It's uh, it's not specific enough. It doesn't touch on, you know, what categories of damages we're excluding altogether, um, what our cap of liability is, if you want to implement one, which you should. Um, it just, it doesn't say anything. Like, these clauses are half a page long. And there is a reason for that. You know, people always want short contracts. And, right. um, you know, if that's what you want, I'm not your person. Um, <laughs> but, but you have to be very specific about, you know, what you will and will not be responsible for and um, what categories you want to exclude altogether. So when it comes to these types of things, so yes, Certain areas, I mean, you need multiple paragraphs for each individual thing. So with my deal, so I've got a master service agreement. I've got statements of work that I do. Uh, I will have addendums when I take on certain projects and stuff. So do you advise a lot of that type of thing, or do you have some differences in how you do your contracts? No, that's what I do too. So we have an MSA, your master service agreement, which contains all the general uh, terms that apply to your relationship as a whole. Um, Things like, you know, the liability limitations we just mentioned, what insurance you will carry if you require your clients to carry insurance, um, you know, what the term of the relationship is, um, general provisions about, you know, client responsibilities, um, equipment, term termination, exclusions, all of this that will not change from project to project. Um, all of this should go in your in your MSA. And then project-specific provisions should go in a service schedule, addendum, statement of work, and a, essentially a smaller agreement that lays out the specifics about that particular project that you're undertaking and incorporates the general terms of the MSA. So you're not replicating the entire, you know, 15, 20 page 
package every time you're doing something for this client because nobody wants to do that. Right. Um, so every time you uh, you add a service, take away a service, do a project based, um, do a project for your client, it would go in one of these shorter documents that basically say, this is what we're doing. This is how much it's going to cost. And um, anything that is not addressed, um, not addressed in here, then the, the terms of the MSA will apply. All right. And then going back to the documents that you've seen floating around, because <laughs> I know that that happens. I know that when I first started 25 years ago, I kind of did that. And then I was brought into the light and, and don't do that anymore. But you said that it's a small percentage of us that are actually doing master service agreements. So when it comes to the rest of the people, and they are just simply downloading a document and tweaking it themselves. How much more risk are they putting themselves in by doing that? Well, a lot more because it seems like they don't really understand what's in the document to begin with, because, you know, if they did, they wouldn't be using it. Um, a lot of times it's just a, just an SLA or a statement of work that, you know, doesn't have any of the protections that you that you would see in an MSA. Um, sometimes it's a it's a generic like independent contractor agreement type document that has certain contractual language, but it's not MSP specific. So it's missing those essential terms regarding you know excluding certain liabilities and term termination, offboarding, client responsibilities, things that are very MSP specific. It's lacking those protections. It does have tend to have some general general liability limitations, indemnities and things like that, but nothing, nothing that great. And a lot of times what people don't realize is that a contract can be either friendly to the client or friendly to the service provider. It just depends on, you know, which side drafted it. The client drafts the contract, all the all the clauses will be beneficial to the client, not so great for you. If an MSP's attorney drafts the contracts, most of the, the clauses will be MSP friendly. Right. So I see a lot of these contracts where all the boilerplate is client friendly. Like it just throws you under the bus every chance at like on every page. Um, and that's, well, that's what tells me that they're, they're not understanding what is in these documents and, you know, why would they, they're not attorneys, they're MSPs. Right. Um, but I do see this a lot um, in, in a lot of these contracts that I'm asked to look at and that's when we have to just do a complete overhaul because it's, It'll take longer to fix that than just start from scratch. That's how bad they are. Now, you just made me think of a situation. So I had a um, client that we had a particular situation that I had to draft up something and present it to them. And then they were a law firm. So they wanted to take my document that my attorney had drafted up and do their redlining and make their changes and then come back to me and say, okay, and then the back and forth began. Now, <laughs> in my situation, it didn't take too long. I think it went back and forth two or three times. And then 
Because I just said, look, your attorneys, talk to my attorney, figure it out. So do you have a lot of situations like that where somebody will come to you and say, hey, I have this contract. I know you didn't write it, but can you help me defend it? Um, Well, I get a lot of inquiries. I don't always take (laughs) them on, but um, some contracts are just indefensible. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, that's just what happens. You know, you send a business a contract. What should happen is they take it to their attorney for review, right? And then if they disagree with anything or they want anything changed, they redline it and send it back to you, see what you say. Contract is just uh, a written representation of whatever the two of you agreed to. And part of coming to an agreement is a healthy amount of back and forth, right? So redlining is not this, you know, adversarial process or you know it's it's not a sign that the relationship is going south (laughs) it's just something that that most businesses with attorneys will do and if you're dealing with attorneys it's uh more or less guaranteed to happen because we go through it and we say oh you want to i don't know limit your liability to $50,000, we're not comfortable with that. I want to raise that to $300,000. And so we'll redline it and send it back and see what, what you say. And if we need to have a conversation about it, we'll have a conversation about it. But that's all it is. It's, uh, it's, it's not as big a deal as a lot of MSPs tend to make it out to be. They, I, I sense that there is a lot of misunderstanding in most of these uh, industries about what redlining actually is. Well, so the only reason I know that term is because I have a lot of attorneys as as clients, but yeah, I see it happen all the time, but I know that a lot of the IT professionals that, you know, either listen to this show or I've met, you know, they don't have attorney representation and they'll go grab a document off the internet, change it up for them, send it. And if it gets sent back with attorney redlining, it, it scares them. Um, mainly because you don't have an attorney to back you up, which is the whole reason I made the change. I'm like, you look, you don't have to argue with me, argue with my attorney. And if, and then that way that, that, uh, kind of is a buffer in a sense. But what I found is that the client then takes you much more serious when they're like, Oh, you have an attorney. Yes, I do. That is true. I mean, we're all just trying to see sometimes, you know, what we can get away with. And uh, if you have an attorney, they automatically know that there's much less you can get away with in those situations than just trying to get this other unrepresented party to agree to a red line that they may or may not even understand. So I would, once it gets to that point, I would absolutely get, you know, local counsel involved. All right. So we aren't going to do a full podcast here. We're actually going to be doing a second podcast a little bit later, and you're going to come back and hopefully be available to answer questions live uh, in an ask me anything format. And that is going to be Wednesday, October 12th at 8 PM Eastern. So you're going to join us and go through some of this stuff. Now getting back to the conference and the fact that we had to come back and ask you to uh, to give us a second session. What are some takeaways that you got from that in terms of the presentation you gave or the questions that got answered in that second session? So I was, I'm always 
pleasantly surprised at these conferences with the level of interest how much attention the audience is paying to the legal stuff. And that is good because you are grasping the significance of the risk, right? And trying to um, do something about it. Like it's actually on your radar that you you have to protect yourself with a good set of documents and, um, and you need to get that done hopefully soon. So I always... Um, get into more in-depth conversations in the IT industry than any other really? <laughs> that I work with. They get into, you know, just the the nitty-gritty details of insurance clauses and what are some options when it comes to excluding liability for issues created by the client, which you know does happen a lot, you know. Right. And um so if there is a QA, we always dive sort of deeper into these topics than than we can do in in a general overview like this. But it's always, I mean, I always have a good time. They seem to have a good time as well. Um, And uh, yeah, we get to, we get to talk about some very important aspects of, of limiting your liability. People that are actually interested. Okay. (laughs) Now we were general here and we've, we've talked general about some of the things that you mentioned at the conference. Is there a question in you know, specifically that you can point to and say, this question comes up a lot, or this was the first time somebody had ever asked me this question. Is there any of those that stick out? I tend to get a lot of questions about insurance. Okay. That's huge for us right now. Yeah. I think because the industry is changing, insurance companies are upping their requirements for both, you know, insurability, whether or not they will even take you on as a client and um, how much your premiums are going to be. And, you know, from my perspective, it's a, it's a good way to get into MSAs because MSAs factor into that decision making by the insurance company because they absolutely have an effect on how much of a risk you pose as a client, whether or not you have a good contract. But we also talk a lot about, you know, what insurance clauses are, how they should be phrased. Um, Should we include a requirement that the client carry their own first party insurance? Um, Talk about subrogation waivers, which a lot of MSPs want to require. That just means that the insurance company that is insuring your client will waive their right to, to come back and sue you after they paid out to the client. Um, and, um, you know, something to, to, to keep in mind about that is uh, you can, in most cases, get a subrogation waiver, but it's going to cost you money. Um, and so a lot of times the MSP will be asked to, to pay the difference in premium Um that comes with uh, with a subrogation waiver and um, things like that. Uh, insurance is a pretty broad topic, but it always tends to dominate. And um, you know, there there are questions about well, should I get what should I get an MSA or an insurance policy? And the answer is both. <laughs> so they're not neither one is a substitute for the other. Right. You know. You need to have both because an insurance policy gives you another additional source of funds should you be held liable um, for a loss. But a contract 
can protect you from being liable in the first place should anything happen. So they they do work together. They have, they serve different purposes, and um, it usually takes a little bit of explaining. But um, you know, at, at all of these conferences, there are always insurance vendors that come and and, right. and explain what they do, and I come in and explain what we do as law firms. So I think by the end, there's always a good understanding, but that's one topic that's just never, never ending. (laughs) It is not now because of that conversation, when it circles back to the MSP and, you know, whether they should have insurance or not. And the answer is they should. Do you actually get dragged into advising them on, you know, the insurance to get and, you know, maybe they have to restructure their business and things like that. So does that come back to, you know, the corporate part of your business? Not really. So we discuss it in general terms, but, you know, when it comes to negotiating coverages, um, I, I do get involved in some of those conversations, but it's pretty much between the the business and the insurance broker. So I'm not actively conducting those negotiations on behalf of the business, but I do look them over when I'm being asked to, or I do provide, you know, some counsel if required. All right. So outside of the contract work that you do and the trademark name, what would be some of the other services that Corvinus Law would provide if an MSP needed other services? So mostly business formations, um, mergers and acquisitions, but that part of my practice, I've limited that specifically to Louisiana. Oh, okay. So, you know, I would have to refer you guys out, um, I do have some referral partners in different states that can handle that because that's not, you know, MSP specific, um, but it is very, very state specific. So, you know, business formation is always according to state law. And so you have to very closely follow those corporate laws to be in compliance with everything. Um, So that's, uh, that's pretty limited. It's not even something that, you know, I, I can work with local counsel where needed. Like I just don't get involved in other States (laughs) and I don't feel like it's the best use of my time either. So it's kind of, I do it, but it's, it's not a major thing. I am, I'm very, very focused on contracts and, and trademarks. All right. And so focused that you actually have a site that we'll actually dive into at the next podcast, but we want to talk about your, it's not a side gig but it's not tied to your main site. It's Renegade Legal. And I think the site is renegadelegal.co. Yes. Right. And yeah, that's where the templates live. Okay. So the D the DIY part of the business and uh, that could open up a whole nother can of worms that I'd like us to have time to discuss. So (laughs) why are you If there are questions about templates, so it's a weird situation for me because I don't like it when business owners DIY their contracts. <laughs> for the longest time, I did not want to make this. Like, I was just. I was going to say because I didn't want it. I was I was thinking maybe I shouldn't mention it, but because you and I talked about this, the fact that you know templates are like the bugaboo word, but then all yeah. of a sudden. By the way, I've got templates. <laughs> yeah, so I don't like it, but I I do know how MSBs operate, and I know how expensive it is 
to to get a custom set of templates like it's a minimum 10 but often more um to get a, a custom set done and um and a lot of msps just won't do it like they'd rather have either nothing and you know do the handshake type agreement which is essentially nothing um or they will get something absolutely terrible off the internet and try to tweak it with no assistance whatsoever and end up being in a worse situation than they would be without the paper. So, you know, because of this, you know, I put a lot, a lot of time into creating these, these templates for MSPs to kind of cover all the essential bases that I think need to be covered without um, before you ever, you know, take on a client. Um, The other thing that I kind of touched on is the fact that they don't, they can't locate an attorney that deals with MSPs. So they end up going with not a technology law firm, but just, you know, my uncle who does divorces, but he has a law degree. So he clicked around a bit on the internet and and put this contract together for me. And um, again, just, absolutely terrible not to you know talk badly about my colleagues but just not adequate to protect msp so in those situations i do think that it's better for the business owner to get a solid set of templates that cover everything applicable to msps and take that to their local attorney who can then customize it for their state and tweak it where it needs to be tweaked um it's much better than going with someone totally inexperienced in in this sector and right. um, yeah, you getting don't, a document that doesn't protect you. Yeah, you don't want the uncle that does divorces or the friend that does you know real estate law uh, to be doing your business law if they don't uh, have an idea what they're doing. Right, right, and I, I do have a lot of MSBs contacting me saying there's no one in my state and. That's when I recommend that they download the templates. Okay. Well, we will get into that much more on October 12th. Again, the live show that Wednesday evening at 8 o'clock Eastern. And Liz will come back and take questions and answers, and we'll dive more into this. And we'll talk about your perfect customer avatar. Awesome. (laughs) I will think about that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That'll be great. So, Liz, thank you very much for coming on the show. And I'll let you get back to work and look forward to seeing you on October 12th. Thanks for having me and I will be there. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please join us every Wednesday at 8 p.m. for the live show, specifically October 12th uh, for Liz Pifco coming back and head over to itbusinesspodcast.com. Click on the follow site, find your favorite podcatcher, and that way you'll be notified when these shows, both audio and visual, are released. Have yourselves a good day. Go make some money, protect yourselves. And until next time, holla. 